The following audio is from Shady Grove Presbyterian Church in Rockville, Maryland. Our mission is to follow Jesus Christ and labor for His kingdom both in our area and around the world. For more information about Shady Grove Presbyterian Church, please follow us on Facebook and visit ShadyGrovePCA.org. Let me pray for us as we look at this sobering text together. Father, we would pray that as a church, we would be a people who fear you and who walk in the comfort of your spirit. And we ask that you would meet us and speak to each of us individually. That any areas, Lord, um, that you're putting your finger on and drawing attention to, calling us to repent, we pray that our repentance will go deeper and that we would flee, and that we would turn from sin. We ask that, Lord, you would give us your grace. We know it's if only by the Spirit we put to death the things of the flesh will we live. And so we ask for your, your Spirit to be at work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hear God's word. This is Mark 9, beginning of verse 42. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin... It would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. So in the context here, Jesus has just got... Uh, done referring to rewards. So in verse 41, he says, Truly I say to you, whatever, whoever gives a cup of water to drink uh, because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. And so now he's moving from rewards to retribution. And what we see is that Jesus, who has all authority in heaven and earth, has been given to him. And all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in him, Paul says. So here he's speaking with authority and with all knowledge and wisdom. He's speaking of eternal realities that our eyes cannot see. There is a real place of heaven with rewards, and there's a real place of hell with retributions and judgment. There's only two destinations that the Bible speaks of. There is no such thing as purgatory or reincarnation, as the Bible is clear in Hebrews 9:27, just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. We will all have to face this inspection. There will be a reckoning. I shared this story before that some years ago I was getting my car worked on, and the car mechanic, I just happened to be in an interesting place at an interesting time because the lights were just coming on in his girlfriend's life, And these two are living together. She's realizing that this is sinful. She's coming into the light. She started going to church. And he is telling me these things because 
he realizes that I'm a pastor and he's a friend of my dad's and he just starts kind of spilling these things out to me that, you know, it, it, you know, he's saying it looks like I'm on the way out. You know, like I'm living with this girl, but she's going to be baptized like this Sunday at church, you know, and he's realizing that I think she's kicking me out is what he's telling me. And so we got to talk about the gospel and I can't remember even a thing that I had shared with him. But I just, the words that he said to me have just stuck where he just was mulling over what I said and he just said, I just wish there was a third option. And what he meant was, I know there's a heaven, but I don't love Jesus and I don't want to go there. But worse is I know there's a hell with an infinite punishment for sins against an infinite God and I don't want to go there. I just wish there was a third option. And I thought that was a profound comment because I always feel like that's the temptation of the church and of course those outside the church, but even for those in the church, there's always this new ideas being floated of there must be a third option. And so a couple of examples of the third option would be some have come up with this idea that of just annihilationism, and this view has been held by some evangelicals over the years, most notably and recently was John Stott, who held to this view. And this idea is basically all the forever and eternal parts of punishment are just muted out altogether. There's a little bing, you're, you're, you're cast out and you're annihilated and that's it. And, and then there's this view that, you know, some wanna say, well, you know, hell is just being eternally ignored. And you choose to go there yourself, you put yourself there, and it's my will be done, not his will be done, and um, you're just being eternally ignored. And I've always thought, man, that's exactly what, an, what somebody wants to hear. I mean, I just want to be left alone by God. That would be great. And I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. The other view that's kind of a, a new, well, it's been around a long time, but it, it resurfaces, is Christian universalism. And that everybody is ultimately saved through Christ even if they didn't repent and believe in this life. And there's this book that's come out recently called The Purest Gospel. And so I haven't read it, but um, I read a little bit about it and I've got a friend who's reading it and has another friend that's kind of interested in this, what it has to say. But when you Google it, it Google has a nice write-up about it and this is what it says. The book is simply brilliant. Mortimer makes a compelling argument for the universalist position and shows convincingly that biblical support, support for it is not only stronger than you might think, but that it's actually a pretty watertight case. Well, there you go. The third way. There is a third option. And I just thought, what does Jesus have to say? So let's just back up for a minute, look at the bigger picture. There's only 14 references to hell in the New Testament, or Gehenna. And 12 of them come from the lips of Jesus. So it's Jesus is the primary one that speaks of, of hell. And he says in Luke 16 about the rich man and, uh, and the poor man, and the rich man being um, Lazarus, um, or the Lazarus being the poor man. He says, the poor man died, was carried to the angels, to Abraham's side in Luke 16. The rich man also died and was, was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, 
He lifted up his eyes, saw Abraham afar off, and Lazarus at his side, and he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and to cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime receive your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he's comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, this is the part I want you to really key in on, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross over from there to us. And then he said, well, I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that you may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. That's Luke 16. Matthew 25 you have three parables, um, and one of them is the parable of the sheep and the goats. And it goes like this. When the sons of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne and before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did, did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it for the least of my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. And then you'll answer me saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sin, sick or in prison and, and did not minister to you? And then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So here in this parable, we have sheep, we have goats, we have the left and the right. We have the blessed, we have the cursed, we have eternal punishment and eternal life. And whatever you believe about the one, you have to believe about the other as far as duration, because it's the same word at the end of the parable. These will go into way eternal punishment, the righteous into eternal life. So if you think somehow that the punishment is going to be like, boop, and it's over, well, then so is eternal life. Boop, I guess that's over too, because you can't do away with one half of the verse and keep the other half. What you believe about eternal punishment is in duration. You have to believe about eternal life in duration. So I don't hear anybody promoting annihilation for heaven. I just don't do that. Well, it's the same word. It's eternal. It's forever and ever. Second Thessalonians says the same thing in, in chapter 1 of Thessalonians where Paul is writing about this flaming fire when the Lord returns, inflicting vengeance on those who do, do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. 
away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints, to be marveled at among all who believed because our testimony to you was believed. Well, some years back, Dorothy Sayers uh, is actually a Catholic writer. Uh, She wrote a book called A Matter of Eternity. And she says this about hell. And she says, one finds frequent references to the cruel and abominable medieval doctrine of hell, or the childish and grotesque medieval imagery of physical fire and worms. She says, but the case is quite otherwise. Let us face the facts. The doctrine of hell is not medieval. It's Christ. It's not a device of medieval priestcraft or frightening people into giving money into the church. It's Christ's deliberate judgment on sin. The imagery of the undying worm and the unquenchable fire derives not from medieval superstition, but originally from the prophet Isaiah, but it was Christ who emphatically used it. It is explicit in many of the familiar parables and implicit in many more. It bulks far larger in the teaching than one realizes until one reads the evangelist, the gospels, through instead of picking out the most comfortable text. One cannot get rid of it without tearing the New Testament to tatters. We cannot repudiate hell without altogether repudiating Christ. And so there are very difficult doctrines that we embrace as the church, and and it kind of reminds me, like, I didn't come up with this. You know, like if, if I was making the rules for the NFL or the NBA or baseball, like I might have some different ideas of what I think it should be, of what fairness is. But I don't make the rules. And it, it kind of shows us like there's things that we wholeheartedly embrace and others we have to say, I submit, Lord, and I trust you because you're a, you're a lot wiser than I am. And all authority in heaven and earth has been given to you. And you speak of these things very clearly to us. And it shows me that I'm the one, I don't make the rules. And so um, as we consider this, I think it's important for us to realize that what Jesus has come to do in leaving heaven to and coming to earth is he came to save us from our sin. Well, what's the big deal about that? Well, if you take away hell, he didn't really need to come because there's no, there's no real punishment. He came to take away sin, but he also takes away the punishment of sin, which is casting us out into darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Here it's described as the worm doesn't die and the the fire is not quenched. And he's come to save us from something far bigger. And, you know, as I like to say, you can't exaggerate how bad hell is just as you can't exaggerate how great heaven's going to be. You, you can try and exaggerate and, and use your imagination as it's going to be worse than, or, or greater in the two realities. But to come up with a third option, I just want to warn us against that that's really not an option for us. And I remember when I was in, in college, I had a job one summer working for B&G. B&G was the fancy name for buildings and grounds. And working in buildings and grounds, we we mowed a lot of grass and did a lot of uh, weed whacking. And then we got into some trees that we were actually trimming some trees and taking down some trees. And there was a guy named Joey that he took down a tree that he was not supposed to take down. What even worse, it was on the most prominent spot of campus. It's a small campus at Nyack. Boone Center was right where the, where the cafeteria was. It was where main classrooms were. And there was one beautiful oak tree as you approached the front of the campus. 
And for some unbeknownst reason, Joey just took the tree down. And I can still remember to this day when the foreman showed up on the job, and somehow we all kind of converged the same place, and he gets out, and he is, he is livid. And this is what he said. Did I tell you to take down that tree? No, sir. Who told you to take down that tree? Nobody, sir. Then why did you take down the tree? Because I, I thought it, it needed to come down. Well, you thought wrong. And then he proceeded to say, you guys are working on this job. I don't care if it's past midnight. I don't want to see a flake of sawdust that this tree ever existed because he realized he's going to be in big trouble with the president of the college. He's trying to cover the whole thing up. But he's so upset because he didn't give the command to take it down. Who gave you the command? You thought you were smarter. Well, I give you that as an illustration as to if we think that we can just take hell and like saw it off, take the tree down, you've taken a pretty important tree out of the theology of the Christian church of what we have been saved from. And Jesus is giving very severe warnings here. And the issue that Jesus is dealing with, it's the issue of sin. If you look at these verses again at 42 to, to 50, notice from 42, and by the way, if you're looking at this text and you get to verse 44 and you get to verse 46 and you discover they're missing, okay, because they are, and then you might think, oh, the ESV is just a bad translation. We need to get another translation of the Bible because 44 and 46 aren't even there in the text. So let me just deal with that for a second. The oldest manuscripts that we have of the Bible don't have 44 and 46. But then a few, as a few centuries go on, we have many more manuscripts, and they do have a 44, and they do have a 46, some of them. And it's the same exact verse as 48. So 48 actually gets repeated three times. So there's nothing actually missing in these older texts because it is repeated in 48, but it just has the refrain going three times, okay? So if you're wondering how come no 44, no 46, is here's what happens. The manuscripts that are centuries later, they, they typically are never smaller they're always a little bigger. Why are they bigger? Because things get added in later, little, little tiny things. And then scholars have to determine what was originally in the text. What did Jesus say and what might have been a scribal edition? And they have determined that 44 and 46 were scribal editions. They're not in the oldest manuscripts and that Jesus didn't say them. So that's, I'm defending the ESV on this one, okay? So you have to deal with the, the manuscript evidence, and there are two schools of manuscripts, that, and the oldest school doesn't have 44 and 46, but keep in mind, there is no central doctrine. It's missing. It's just something that was repeated three times. The oldest manuscripts only have it stated once, but it is clearly stated in verse 48, and it's a quote from the end of Isaiah. It's the last verse of Isaiah, which says, where the worm does not die, and the fire is not quenched. And that is repeated, um, or that is uh, given again from the end of Isaiah. And it's a reference to the garbage dump 
outside of Jerusalem is where they would burn their garbage and the worms would come and eat up everything and they're constantly adding trash, so it's constantly burning. And it, it became a metaphor, a picture for hell. And that's the reference that you have there. So, um, so I just want you to see that what Jesus is getting at, though, in these other, in the verses 42, 43, 45, and 47, which just logically flows, every verse is talking about sin. Watch out that you don't cause somebody to sin. If you actually lead somebody astray and somebody is young in their faith and then you start to teach them how to sin or you, you're, you're so smart and you're so wise and you have your degrees and, and you have fancy ways to get rid of the Bible and now you're deceiving somebody and sending them off and, and now they're, they're falling away from the faith. He's saying it's better to put the, the, the mule millstone around your neck, the big donkey one that would go around and weigh hundreds and hundreds of pounds, how they would thresh the grain and this huge donkey millstone was the big one and he's saying it'd be better to you just be thrown into the sea with that thing around your neck which is hundreds of pounds more than you and you're gonna sink really fast he'd say it'd be better to die like that than to if you're gonna lead one of these people astray then he says if your hand causes you to sin cut it off if your foot causes you to sin cut it off and if your eye causes you to sin tear it out but each thing is dealing with this issue of of sin and see there's the problem that's the reason we 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 need Jesus is because sin is this problem that it hardens our heart it defiles our consciences it deceives it distorts and as John Owen talks about it untunes and it unframes the heart it, it weakens our soul it perplexes our thoughts it's the great problem and burden that we all deal with in this life and he's saying if you're ruled by that and you're not willing to turn from it the whole thing here is about repentance when you get this tear it off cut it out it's the idea is you have to follow Jesus and it means you have to unfollow something else and we all have things that we have to get rid of to follow Jesus but I would say first of all what he's dealing with is don't be a stumbling block to somebody else and you that are a teacher of his word you as a parent that are parenting you have to take these things seriously I mean years ago not too long ago actually this is actually during the pandemic there's a pastor, and some of you know him. He's not in the PCA, but we have many mutual friends on Facebook. And I rarely ever post anything on Facebook. But this pastor wrote this. Penal substitution bothers me. That Jesus is punished by the Father for my sin seems wrong, both emotionally and theologically. And posted it on Facebook. So I rarely ever weigh in. But I wrote, I can't think of a weightier subject in the universe than the penal substance substitution of Jesus Christ for sinners. I can hardly think of a less weighty form for you to approach this than on Facebook. And Jesus says it's better to put a millstone around your neck if you're causing someone to stu stumble to doubt the atonement for our sins in any subtle way. I have not read Chris, but I'd be willing to stake my life on penal substitution of Jesus Christ on my behalf as my eternity rides on it. Sure hope you're, what you're commending here you're willing to die for is James 3.1 is being properly wrestled with when you entertain something as precious as this with ordinary people who don't have seminary degrees and don't know all these fancy terms. Be careful, brother, what you post. Everything rides on this. 
I love you and I love the church and I'm so thankful that Jesus Christ is a propitiation for my sins to save me from the wrath of God, and list a few scripture references. If that's what you're still affirming, your post isn't making that clear. And I would just say you that are following that pastor and hearing things like that, beware, because that's not going to lead you into the kingdom. You embrace that. What Jesus is saying here is has to do with our core values. The reason the sermon is titled Core Values is what do you love more than sin? You've got to hate sin now you love Jesus, so now you've got to get rid of it. You've got to cut it off. You've got you to move on from these things. And so what, he, what you see not only is sin referenced in 42, 43, 45, and 47, but you keep getting the reference to better. Better, better, better. And Jesus is using this better wisdom, which is a big phrase in the, in the wisdom uh, literature. There's 22 references in Ecclesiastes to better, 21 in Proverbs. It's betters one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the wickedness, tents of wickedness. You know, two are better than one, and betters open rebuke than hidden love. Betters a meal of vegetables where there's love than a fattened calf with hatred. Like, better's a pretty big deal. Did you catch the four betters here? It's better to have a millstone hung around your neck than to be thrown into the sea. 43, it's better to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell. It's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to go to hell. And 47, it's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to be thrown with two eyes into hell. So when he's getting at core values here, he's saying, we value our limbs. We grieve greatly when here, I mean, I just heard about somebody recently, Ian's brother took off the tips of his finger on one hand. I mean, aha, there's a, there's a grief with that. And, the, and one of Matt Zell's, the people they work with down in Conduras, he, he cut off his hand. He by mistake, and you, you have to grieve. When you hear that, you grieve. Somebody's lost a hand. I was watching recently a guy on Disney Plus that had lost his foot, and now he he's, goes around and does all these things and speaks and stuff, but, and he tells the story, and it's, it's gruesome. And when you, know, you lose your eye, they, these are things we don't even want to go there. You think about somebody losing a limb, and it's like, <laughs> and Jesus is saying, well, better to do that so that you can enter life. Notice, enter life, enter life, enter the kingdom of heaven. He's referring to heaven as life. You want real life? Here's the kingdom of God. And better to go in with one of those limbs because you've got the real thing. You've got the core value. you got what was better than an eyeball, better than both hands, better than both feet. You've got heaven. You've got life. And you don't want to go to hell where there's unquenchable fire. The worm doesn't die. The fire's not quenched. And so the point here is don't cut off your limbs. It's be radical about sin. And so as you unfollow, as you follow Christ, you have to ask yourself this morning, are there some TV shows? Are there live streaming videos? Are there TikTok habits? Are there movies? Are there questionable places, casinos or bars or risque places? Are there, is there a relationship that you need to just cut off because it's inappropriate? Are you having inappropriate texting with somebody that you need to cut off? Or is there, is there sexting? Is there some type of secret sin and addiction, pornography? It's got to go. This is radical. And Jesus is saying, cut it off. Get rid of it. If you're going to follow me, you have to unfollow these things. And that's what he's warning about with this Gehenna. It's this garbage dump where these people are hardened by their sin. And now it's this place of 
And, and the, you know, whether it's parabolic or a metaphor or whether it's real, if it's not real, then it's something worse than fire. How do you get worse than fire? I don't know. But I can tell you this. When you think through the grid of the book of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah ends with this very quote. The book of Isaiah ends with warning about this fire that's unquenchable and the worm doesn't die because you have been rebels. Well, guess how the book begins in Isaiah? The book begins with books, begins and ends, the book ends are rebellion. Hear, O heavens, give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children I have reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. They've been rebels. And he pleads with them, why will you continue to rebel? There are people laden with iniquity. They're evildoers. They deal corruptly. They've forsaken the Lord. They despise the Holy One of Israel. They're utterly estranged. They've, they've been rebels. And the book ends with the very same thing. He's making a new heavens, a new earth, and all flesh will come to, to worship me. Sounds good. The very last verse, and they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who've rebelled against me. For the worm shall not die, the fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be in abhorrence to all flesh. They didn't quit the rebellion. But right in the middle of Isaiah 50, you've got these servant songs. And in Isaiah 50, we have this servant song about Jesus. And what are we told about Jesus? Jesus speaks in the servant song. He says, The Lord has given me the tongue of those who were taught that I may know how to sustain with a word him who's weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. There's only one who hasn't been rebellious and he's the servant, it's Jesus. And he says, I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting, but the Lord God helps me, therefore I have not been disgraced, therefore I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates is near. Well, he wasn't near. He turned away from him, but then he raised him and vindicated him by raising him from the dead. You see, our salvation is in Jesus. Jesus has come and died for rebels, and we're all rebels, and he's come in our place on the cross. He makes rebels righteous through his perfect obedience imputed to us. But now by the Holy Spirit working in our hearts, he's now sanctifying his children to conform them to the image of his son. And if you're his and you hear his voice, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me and I give them eternal life. Are you following him? Are you letting go of these other things? Are you cutting them off and getting rid of them? If you're his, you can no longer follow the voice of the rebels, following your own sinful desires, things that will be punished by God forever in a real place called hell. And Jesus is holding out life. He's holding out a core value that to love him is, is so much better than even our feet, our hands, and our eyes. And so we have to do this radical deed of repenting and turning from sin and cutting off the opportunities for temptation and sin in our life. Hear the good news as we close in prayer. Jesus said this, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He doesn't come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Have you passed from death 
to life so that you will not come into judgment. It's whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Trust in Jesus. He is the only one who can save you from the wrath to come. There is no third option. Rest in him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you're the only one. You're the only one who can save us from our sin, being fully God, fully man. Come to take our place, our penalty. Lord, you were crushed for our iniquities. By your stripes we have been healed. We thank you that the punishment that should have fallen on us has fallen upon you. And we have been given your peace. Lord, may we be truly lovers of God and not lovers of pleasure. Weed out and help us to throw away the things of the flesh and to put the flesh to death by the power of your spirit. May we be lovers of the word. Pray that, Lord, this word would go down deep into our hearts, that we would bear fruit with patience, and that it wouldn't get choked out by the worries and the cares and the love of this world. Forgive us, Lord, where we have all fallen short. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.